Before we start, just a heads up. This episode includes many references to suicide. In November of 2022, I went to a funeral in Warner Robins, Georgia. It was for a husband and wife, Danny and Gretchen Elliott. They both died by suicide. I don't normally get like nervous or emotional before work assignments, before I'm, I'm like going to report on something, but uh, for this one, I definitely got a little pit in my stomach. I first met Danny a few years ago while I was reporting for a Vice podcast called Painkiller, and we kept in touch. So going to his funeral, I had a lot of feelings. But I also want to hear people remember Danny and his wife um, in their primes, the happy memories. So um, looking forward to that, but, but definitely coming into this with uh, a heavy heart. So, yeah. Danny had been suffering from chronic pain for over 30 years. It all started when he was nearly electrocuted to death in a home accident in 1991. I have these, these sensations, like my brain is loose inside my skull. If I turn my head too quickly left or right, it feels, it feels like my brain sloshes around. For more than a decade, Danny had tried everything to ease the pain. Acupuncture, hypnosis, Oxycontin, and all sorts of other painkillers. But nothing worked. By 2002, he was considering suicide. I had reached the point that I was going to start making arrangements uh, to end my pain the only way I knew how, and that was going to be, unfortunately, to end my life. But right as Danny was thinking of killing himself, he found a doctor who prescribed a drug that would change his life, fentanyl. And after a day, after a few hours of use, I had gotten pain relief for the first time in, in 10 plus years. It was a lifesaver. It was an absolute lifesaver. And I knew after that first day of this medication that I had gotten part of my life back. It was the happiest thing I've, I've ever experienced in my life ever. The happiest thing ever. A version of fentanyl cooked up by Mexican cartels and sold illegally on the streets is killing tens of thousands of people across the U.S. Fentanyl is taking the opioid epidemic to a new level of urgency, a synthetic painkiller a hundred times more powerful than morphine. As a street drug, it's far more potent than even the purest forms of heroin. The overdose crisis in the U.S. has been going on for over a decade, long before illicit fentanyl use became common. The crisis has been blamed on over-prescribing by doctors, and for a few years now, the DEA has been cracking down on illegal operations. It's hard to find up-to-date numbers, but between 2004 and 2017, the DEA busted at least 252 physicians on opioid-related charges. Federal agents raiding a Broward pharmacy suspected of being a pill mill. And we're also learning authorities raided the home of the pharmacy owner. A lot of those prosecutions were justified for so-called pill mill operations. There really were doctors making money off of prescribing opioids for people who didn't need them. But pain patients have been sort of caught in the crossfire during the DEA's crackdown. That's because fentanyl is also prescribed by doctors for treating the most severe types of pain, like the kind that Danny had. And a lot of chronic pain sufferers have lost access to their medications because their doctors have gotten shut down or arrested these patients often find themselves with no place to turn, with no other doctor who will help them. I know that I'm just one of millions of people that are experiencing this. Um, 
there are a lot of suicides due to pain. And a lot of it's because people can't get medications or their doctors quit prescribing medications or they can't get their medications filled. These are desperate times for a lot of people. Danny said those words to me over two years ago. In the time since, he had a harder and harder time accessing fentanyl. The DEA kept shutting down any doctor who would prescribe him the drug he needed. Every time I heard from Danny, he seemed really frustrated. He felt like nobody understood what pain patients like him were up against. And then, just a few weeks ago, I got the horrible news. Danny and his wife had killed themselves. Researchers who track these cases estimate that at least hundreds, maybe even thousands of chronic pain patients have died by suicide as the DEA has cracked down on anyone prescribing high levels of opioids like fentanyl. The few doctors left who are willing to prescribe large doses of opioids face blowback from the healthcare system, shaming by their peers, and even prison if they get raided by the DEA. How did doctors trying to help people in extreme pain end up in the crosshairs of the federal government? And what's next for the thousands of people in this country suffering unimaginable pain who can't get relief? I'm Keegan Hamilton, and this is Vice News Reports. When I found out that Danny and his wife had killed themselves in early November, I was shocked. There wasn't much news available at the time, so I started calling around to anyone who might know more. Okay, Jim, you still, Jim, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Finally, a couple days after Danny died, I got a hold of his brother. Can you, can you please introduce yourself? Yes, Jim Elliott and my brother, Danny Elliott, um, was a chronic pain patient who suicide two days ago. I mean, two days ago, can you, can you tell me uh, what happened? So Danny was seeing a doctor in um, Southern California. Apparently he received a call about week ago from the doctor's office and said the doctor had had his license revoked by the DEA and that um, his scheduled appointment a couple days later was being canceled because the doctor clearly couldn't help prescribe medication. Yet another one of Danny's doctors had been shut down by the DEA. This is a recurring story not just for Danny but for a lot of chronic pain sufferers who rely on opioids but can't always get them. Some even call folks like Danny opioid refugees. Danny would travel all over the country trying to find specialists. The first doctor to prescribe Danny fentanyl in 2002 was Thomas Sachi, a doctor in Georgia. But after 15 years, Sachi was arrested by the DEA. After that, Danny went through a couple other doctors, including a second one who got shut down. Danny's most recent doctor was in Los Angeles. When Danny lost his L.A. provider, his brother Jim tried to help by referring him to a local doctor in Georgia but the doctor wouldn't prescribe the amount of fentanyl that Danny needed. Afterward, the doctor told Jim, He said, your brother's taking an incredibly high level of pain medications. I'm not able to prescribe the level that he needs because I potentially could get in trouble with the DEA. And so he suggested that my brother go to the emergency room when his um, pain medication supply ran out. He could be treated by some a physician at that time. He he wasn't 
facing an emergency, but the only option that he was given is like, wait till you're having an emergency. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then hope, hope somebody helps you. That's precisely what, what he was told. Jim told me Danny's wife, Gretchen, called at least 15 different doctors. Not one was willing to take him as a patient and keep prescribing fentanyl. Monday morning, I'm actually in Colorado with my wife at a work conference, and I wake up early and scroll through my email, and I get a, essentially a suicide email from my brother, and he just says, I just can't go, I can't endure this any longer, I'm just giving up. Um, I can't get any help, and I can't live my life like this. And so I reached out to the police department, and they did. I guess welfare check is called back about an hour later and confirmed that uh, he and Gretchen, his wife, had both killed themselves. I ended up at this funeral in Warner Robins, Georgia, because Jim invited me. He told me he thought Danny would want me to be there to tell the final chapter of his story. Shortly after I arrived at the funeral, the place filled up and I was meeting all sorts of people who knew Danny and his wife Gretchen, telling me stories about them. Personally, I didn't know Danny that well. We mostly just talked about his medical condition. So it was nice to hear from folks who could talk about what he and Gretchen were like as people. So Danny and Gretchen were both avid sports watchers. This is Gretchen's brother, Eric Weldy. And what she would do is every Thursday night, she would print the TV schedule off or the game schedule for the weekend and then write down what time it was on, what channel it was on. And she did that as an act of love so he didn't get frustrated. He could find the sports channels, he could stay engaged. Gretchen's brother told me that Danny's pain was always a factor in their lives. It just wanted to be part of life, wanted to be part of society, but they felt like they had to live in the fringes because he was in so much pain. I never got a chance to speak with Gretchen Elliott, but it struck me how hard this must have been for her. She and Danny got married in 1996, long after he'd had his accident. He was already living in pain full time. The friends of Gretchen I spoke to said they didn't really know why she took her life at the same time as Danny. I don't think anyone will ever know that for certain. But whatever her reasons, it must have been really difficult to see her husband struggle against a healthcare system that wouldn't help him. On behalf of their families, we want to welcome each and every one of you here today. It is a day that I know as we gather here, we, we just don't understand all of it. We carry in here the question of why, why, Lord, why now? Why did this have to happen in this way? And as I stand before you here today... After the eulogy, I ran into one of Danny's former doctors, Thomas Satchi. From Atlanta to, to, I need to talk to this gentleman right here. Excuse me, pardon me. You must be Dr. Satchi. Nice to meet you. There's a little room in here we can step into. It's a little more quiet, if you don't mind. Sure. Satchi was the first doctor to prescribe Danny fentanyl way back in 2002. Multiple people, including Danny himself, told me that those next 15 years were the best of his life after the accident. It was years of hard work and effort on his part and our part to obtain the medications he needed to function. And that's all he wanted to do was to live, not to get high, not to abuse, not to sell, just not to suffer. <laughs> He's not suffering now, but this isn't the way 
should have been. Sachi prescribed Danny a dosage of fentanyl so high that it raised eyebrows. But according to Sachi, that's just what Danny needed to function. I told all my patients, and I told Danny when he came in throughout the years, opioids are like uranium. They're very good, but they're very dangerous. But if you take them right and you, you, we respect them, they're great for those who need them. But then in 2018, all of a sudden, Sachi had to stop treating Danny. In a Macon federal courtroom, Magistrate Judge Charles Weigel ordered Dr. Thomas Sachi to remain behind bars while awaiting his trial on drug charges. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Middle District of Georgia says Sachi unlawfully prescribed opioids. The DEA raided Sachi's office, arresting him and three of his employees. Suddenly, Danny and all of Sachi's other patients had to find a new doctor. Sachi was jailed until last August, when he was released on bond. When I saw him at the funeral, he was wearing an electronic ankle monitor so the court could track his location. He's charged with making illegitimate prescriptions of pain medications, which prosecutors blame for the deaths of two of his patients. Sachi maintains he's innocent. His trial is scheduled to start late in January, and he's facing a maximum sentence of life in prison. I asked Sachi about Danny's suicide. He told me how when the DEA raided his clinic, nobody did anything to help his patients who were dependent on opioids. And he knew that without their medication, on top of their pain coming back, they'd go into withdrawal. My sister-in-law recommended I consider seeing you. Sachi read me a few text messages that Danny had sent him over the years. One of them hit me especially hard. I believe I was at the point of seriously considering suicide when she called. It's a message Danny sent before the DEA raid, when Sachi was still prescribing him fentanyl. That's one of the reasons I believe there is a God. He stepped in right when I desperately needed something, and it was you. I honestly thought, okay, try this last doctor, but if he's like the others and starts what I've already tried so many times, then that's it, I'm done. So, so close to being a statistic. So close it scares me even now. It's hard to tell how many chronic pain patients are dying by suicide. One pain patient has been tracking these deaths since 2014 using news reports, obituaries, and other public records. They shared me on their spreadsheet with information on over a thousand suspected cases. And that might just be the tip of the iceberg. Sometimes suicide deaths are recorded as overdoses. Other times, there's nothing said at all. No public footprint or record left behind to make a statistic. It's also important to remember that suicide is really complicated. Somebody's decision to end their own life can rarely be boiled down to just one specific thing. People's lives are messy. But in the case of Danny and Gretchen, I can't help but look at the timing of their suicides. They took their lives on November 7th, 2022, just one week after the DEA shut down Danny's doctor in Los Angeles. And as I would soon find out, Danny's doctor isn't even charged with a crime. And Danny wasn't the only patient whose life was thrown into crisis. That's after the break.
When Danny Elliott lost his doctor in Los Angeles, he started to get desperate. But he wasn't the only one left in crisis. Danny's doctor treated a number of patients with opioids. Recently, I caught up with the wife of one of those patients, Kristen Ogden. Her husband has a condition similar to fibromyalgia, which causes a lot of pain. Kristen and her husband used to fly across the country to see this doctor and get prescriptions renewed, just like Danny did. On November 1st, 2022, they'd just landed in LA for an appointment with the doctor, David Bokoff, when Kristen got a text that things had gone really wrong. I talked to Kristen on the phone recently, and she told me what happened next. I turned off the airplane mode feature on my phone, and I immediately saw that I had a text message from a friend who is another patient of Dr. Bokoff's. Her message said, bad news. Dr. Bokoff was just visited by the DEA and given an immediate suspension order. He won't be able to prescribe. I reached out to the DEA for comment, and they said that whenever they shut down a doctor, they reach out to health officials to let them know what's happening. In this case, that meant that Dr. Bokoff would no longer be able to prescribe his patients the drugs they needed. The CDC said they reached out to local health officials to relay the info. So there were several government agencies at the federal and local levels who knew what was happening. But in the end, none of these agencies did much to help these patients who suddenly lost access to their medicine. There was no outreach to explain the situation and help them find a new doctor. And the patients who actually showed up at Dr. Bokoff's office were only given a list of local emergency rooms to visit when they started experiencing withdrawal. Emergency rooms will not really provide any significant care for these patients. Some people were literally out of medications the day they came to visit Dr. Bokoff. Others ran out a couple of days later. It's a double whammy of getting hit with the withdrawals and your physical pain. That's correct. We had Dr. Bokoff. We were very satisfied with him. We had a good pharmacist who was very helpful, and we were satisfied. Still, even when things were going relatively well, you live with this constant nagging fear in the back of your mind. Okay, when's something going to get screwed up? When's it going to happen again? Every day, every day you live with that. Because pretty much the world's against you. Kristen and her husband got to know Danny and Gretchen over the years through the chronic pain community. After Dr. Bokoff was shut down, Kristen called Danny to see how he was doing. He seemed like a person who was very thoughtful, but was definitely, to some extent, consumed by this dread of what he fully expected was going to be um, the next step for his life. Going without pain medication didn't just mean withdrawals from not having opioids. For Kristen's husband, and for Danny too, it meant a return to agony. Consider how would it be for you if you knew, if you were going to be living with this pain every minute of every day, of every week, of every month, year after year, and in some cases like my husband and Danny, decade after decade. It's just almost in, impossible for me to describe. I reached out to the DEA to get their side of the story. They said that Dr. Bokoff had received what's known as an immediate suspension order, which happens when the agency believes there is an imminent danger to public health or safety. Through my reporting, I obtained a copy of a DEA search warrant for the doctor's office. 
and it says the probable cause was that he had several patients on dangerously high doses of opioids and other drugs. The DEA wouldn't provide any more information about why they raided Bokoff's office, but court records show they seized over $140,000 in cash and euros from his home. The DEA says Bokoff was doing a poor job of keeping records and screening patients. Bokoff denies doing anything wrong, and despite taking his money, shutting down a big part of his practice, and leaving his patients with nowhere to turn, the doctor hasn't been charged with a crime. The DEA has a mandate to go after pill mills and rogue doctors who break the law by prescribing opioids when they aren't needed. But even if the DEA thinks it's doing the right thing, the unintended consequences can be devastating. I spoke to several of Bokoff's patients who felt like he was a good doctor. Most of them still haven't managed to find anyone willing to continue their prescription. One person was stuck going to a methadone clinic because that was the only option available. That was enough for them to stave off withdrawals, but their pain had already returned. Bokoff's office is still open, but because the DEA suspended his license to prescribe fentanyl and other painkillers, a lot of patients have been forced to find a new doctor. When I reached out to Bokoff about Danny and Gretchen, he responded with an email statement that said, their blood is on the DEA's hands. Hey, Jim, how's it going? How are you doing? Good, good. Is it okay to park my car right there? Of course, yeah. Okay, great. The day after Danny's funeral in Georgia, I went to visit his brother, Jim. I wanted to see how he was holding up and how he felt about his brother's death now that he'd had time to process. Cool, shoes on, shoes off. It's a beautiful home. This is the home where Danny and Jim grew up together. It's huge, almost like a mansion. Their mom still lives here, and Jim was taking care of a few things after the funeral. Once we sat down, I asked Jim how pain had changed Danny's life. You know, the first many years after his accident, there were bad days, but there were also a lot of okay days. It wasn't as if pain medication made Danny's life great. I think pain medication made his life tolerable on a level that's less than what most people would hope for. But over the last few years, as Danny was having a more difficult time finding a doctor to prescribe him fentanyl, things started to change. Putting on a happy face and going out in public and being around folks was hard and harder and harder. Over the last many years, I mean, we try to make plans to go to a ball game or have Thanksgiving dinner or whatever. And, and he was always, you know, I might, may not be able to make it. There was some period when he was prescribed a certain medication by a physician and approved by his insurance company and had a hell of a time even finding a pharmacy that was willing to stock it or sell it to him. Now, it had been prescribed, but they were fearful of even ordering this particular medication because of what effect it might have on their business life. That's, that's bullshit to me. I mean, what the hell? Who are they to be telling physicians what medications are appropriate? What Jim is talking about is really common. These days, because of the opioid crisis, doctors and pharmacists across the U.S. face really intense pressure from insurance companies and other parts of the healthcare system to avoid prescribing high doses of painkillers. But in the end, it was the DEA that shut down Danny's doctor. Jim read me some of the messages Danny sent him after the DEA shut down Dr. Bokoff. Okay, I'll do my best to read this, okay? Okay. FYI, I lost my doctor on Tuesday. DEA 
took away his license to prescribe scheduled drugs. I've given up on finding another doctor, but Gretchen G insists on getting an appointment, so I will go there at 3 p.m. today, praying for help but not expecting it. Many times over the years, Jim had heard from Danny while he was suffering, but this time it was different. That was a level of desperation I hadn't seen before. Jim read me the last text he got from Danny. And as I explained to you, see a doctor who he said he wouldn't help, but G insisted, I have no options left. We are both crushed. I'll text or call you sometime tomorrow. And I never, I didn't hear back from him. Danny left behind a suicide note. I asked Jim to read some of it to me. I just can't live with this severe pain anymore and I don't have any options left. The US government via Medicare and insurance companies has told me every year for 22 years that they approved of the pain medication I'd been prescribed. However, the US government via the DEA is also saying that it is not okay by arresting, shutting down good legit doctors, including my last doctor on Tuesday, November 1st. <clears throat> there are millions of chronic pain patients suffering just like me because of the DEA. Nobody cares. My wife called 17 doctors this past week looking for some kind of help. The only doctor who agreed to see me refused to help in any way. What am I supposed to do? The severe amount of, amounts of stress, pressure, swings of emotion, and the financial issues we have dealt with as a result of pursuing doctors willing to prescribe across the country nonstop for four years has taken its toll on Gretchen too. We haven't been living normal lives in a long time. Gretchen is my best friend. <clears throat> my rock and my soulmate. I'm honoring her wishes. So. Thank you for sharing that, Jim. Sure. Because, again, to the extent that's personal, it is. Um, but I want people to hear his voice about what happened to him and why it happened to him. Since the DEA shut down Danny's doctor in L.A., a group of pain patients has hired a lawyer and taken legal action trying to intervene to get the doctor's license reinstated. Bokoff has also hired lawyers of his own and has been fighting back in court. Those efforts seem like a long shot. But there was a recent Supreme Court ruling that set a precedent that requires prosecutors to prove a doctor was knowingly and intentionally acting in bad faith. But even so, it doesn't seem like the DEA is going to slow down its efforts against pain doctors. There's no end in sight. Until recently, the patients affected by the DEA's actions have been an afterthought. People like Danny didn't matter to the government. It kind of seems like they still don't. Part of me thinks that Danny and Gretchen killed themselves the way they did because they wanted to bring attention to this issue, make it impossible to ignore. I guess it worked. I only wish there could have been another way.
This story was reported and produced by me, Keegan Hamilton, and Jesse Alejandro Cotro. It was edited by Stephanie Kariuki and Annie Aviles. Vice News Reports is produced by Sam Egan, Sophie Cases, Adriana Rodriguez, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Jesse Alejandro Cottrell, Janice Yamoka, and Julia Nutter. Our supervising producer is Ashley Cleek. Our associate producer is Steph Brown. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Pran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producers are Adiza Egan and Stephanie Kiryuki. For Vice Audio, Annie Aviles is our executive editor, and Janet Lee is our senior production manager. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. Kate Osborne and Annie Aviles were executive producers on Painkiller, America's Fentanyl Crisis. From Spotify, executive producers Liz Gately and Erica Clark. Supervising producer Jake Klingberg. Associate producer Baron Farmer. Big thanks to Shirley Ramos, Sarah Gaynor, and Sam Walters. I'm filling in for Ariel Deham Ross. If you like the show, please rate and review it. It really helps people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back next week.